Hello, and welcome to the RAMGAD Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director podcast. I am your host, Jason Economu, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and I am uh, joined today by Michelle Del Rosario, Executive Assistant in the Office of the Council Chair, Kelly King. Hello, Michelle. Hello, Jason. So, I like to start off nice and easy with everybody. What does an executive assistant for Chair King do? Well, we have a few executive assistants. My role here is more aligned with a chief of staff role. So I'm a gatekeeper. I handle all of her scheduling and assess who should she meet with, when should she meet with them, um, and help guide her schedule. Aside from your role as gatekeeper, um, what other professional endeavors do you have going on? Well, I'm a realtor, longtime realtor. I was licensed here in Hawaii in 1990, um, and I've always sold on Maui. So a long time history in the real estate industry. I, I actually had quite a few people that when I mentioned I was interviewing you, um, they got really excited because they wanted to hear from another realtor, especially yep. a realtor in local politics. So I'm very excited as well. Excellent. So Michelle, um, I want to take a big old step back and I want to learn a bit about you and what informs you and, and how you do your job and work through this world. Um, so where did you grow up? Let's start there. I grew up on the mainland in Arizona. Um, I was adopted as a baby, so I had uh, two parents married most of my life. Um, my father's deceased now. I moved here to Maui when I was in my early 20s. I came here on vacation and after a week here, interviewed for a job and moved back two weeks later. What was that job? My first job was working for a local attorney. Oh, how did you like that? <laughs> I loved it. Um, I worked for an attorney on the mainland at the time, so it was in my field and I really enjoyed it and uh, decided, I don't know, I felt this calling to Maui. Um, moved back here and, and I, I've loved it ever since. And you said that was in the early 90s? Correct. Um, what was that transition like, moving from the mainland, Arizona, and coming to Maui and, and picking up? Well, <clears throat> I was welcomed warmly. So for me, it was an excellent experience. Um, I was a single parent, and um, my kids went to Sacred Heart School in Lahaina. And back then, Lahaina was a very small community. Um, it's grown since then in the years. But um, I think Maui as a whole is still very a welcoming place for people to come to. Um, so you moved here with your, your child. Um, you've been here for a little while now. Yes. What are some of the, the big differences that you've noticed over your time here? How, how has the world of Maui changed for you? Well, obviously traffic's a bigger issue. Housing is an issue. When I moved here, housing wasn't a, a, a difficult thing to come by. Um, you had lots of choices. They were private homes, but they were available. You know, the transition in the hospitality industry, that shift from large hotels to boutique hotels to now more Airbnbs and short-term rentals is a national shift. And I think we've really felt that here. It's strained us. At times, it's pitted our community. Um, I know the um, planning committee just had a hearing this week in Paia over the cap limit for short-term rentals in Paia and Haiku, and they voted to reduce the cap. So um, 
people are realizing it is having an impact on our infrastructure and our community. And how do we rein that in, still welcome people, um, still be a place of hospitality, but then also take care of our, our base here, our residents. Mm. I do want to get into those, those deeper issues, especially housing and, and the other things that you're concerned about um, that are going on in the county today. But let's, let's stay with your, your professional background just for a little bit longer. I want, okay. I want to get to know you a bit more. Um, so you worked at an attorney's office. When did you jump into real estate? Uh, about six months after I came here. I got my license. My first office here was Better Homes and Gardens Haleali'i Realty, which was a Kihei-based office with Tom Zelk, um, who unfortunately has passed away. He's no longer with us. Uh, I worked for Prudential Locations for a period of time. I had my own brokerage for a period of time. Um, and I'm with Keller Williams now since they opened here four years ago. What is your favorite part of the business? You've been in it for a while now. I love helping people uh, across all segments of the business. So I've done residential, I've done commercial, um, I've done investments, um, development. I just really like helping people get to the goal, whether that's their first home, whether it's building wealth, whether it's business related. I just love what I do. Um, now, I read an article, um, it was actually a blog post that I think you wrote about micro houses. Is that correct, that that, that was a passion of yours at yes. one point? Um, could you maybe share what the appeal of, of the micro house is to you? Well, I think it's attainable, and that's the, the biggest thing for me. Um, I don't live in a micro home. I've never owned a micro home, but uh, I am really passionate about green development, um, and in that area, you know, we, our idea of housing has grown over time to bigger is better. But I think now people are realizing that you can live with a smaller footprint, have a lesser impact on the environment, use less resources, and be just as happy and fulfilled as if you lived in a larger home. And in Maui, where we have so many issues with attaining housing, um, and multi-generational families living in the same home, I think this is the one thing that we could really embrace as a community. Sometimes people fear it's gonna be like trailer home parks mm. and they think low income. I know a lot of very affluent people who would love to live in a tiny home by choice, by lifestyle. And yet I think there are others that would enjoy living there because it's financially attainable within their means. And I'm not talking people who are low income and on HUD vouchers, although that too may be a segment of the community, but just our workforce. Mm. And if we made some changes to our codes to allow that and to allow some small areas, I would prefer infill where we have infrastructure, transportation, um, I think it could really benefit the community. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I certainly do not fit into that category of affluent people who would choose to live in a tiny home. Um, but you're but, not poor. But I'm not you're poor. You're a very comfortable yeah. professional. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to make a sob story. I'm not poor. But I bring that up because I'm one of these just sort of average people, and yeah. I want to live in a tiny home. Um, I think that aside from, from the money aspect of it, the financial aspect of it, Culturally, there's been a big shift with yes. just Americans in general. Yes. 
um, where you know my wife and I we are afraid of accumulating things whereas my parents they still seek out possessions items yes um, and and so I love that you're passionate about tiny homes because it really represents a changing view of housing um, and a, a changing view of, of what we value as people. Well, and for me, it's not just tiny homes, it's green homes. Let's really be smart. What materials are we using? Are we using no VOC paints? Are we using products that aren't outgassing into our environment? Do we have a healthy environment? And I approached that when I looked at affordable housing. It's one thing to build affordable housing that we can, that's a low cost. But what's the cost to the tenant living in that housing? Mm. If we have affordable housing that we're building in Kihei and we're putting window ACs in every bedroom, is that going to be truly affordable for that tenant? No, they're going to have a high electric bill. Um, all the windows are going to be closed all the time so that they can cool the unit. Why are we not designing the design of the building where we're looking at window placement and maybe capitalizing on the Venturi effect of airflow? so that from a design standpoint, we're designing smartly, we're designing green, so that when that low-income tenant moves in, or even that workforce tenant, the cost of living within it is affordable, it's also healthy. And then are we able to reuse and readapt existing buildings? You know, we have all these large retail sites that are sitting empty. Are those opportunities for adaptive reuse? Um, in any number of ways. Um, so for me, it's really about adjusting our view on, on housing. Let's throw out the book on what we think and let's just start with a blank slate. How can we do things green for the environment, green for our pocketbook, green for the occupant who's gonna live there, whether they're a tenant or an owner. Do you view this as a, a legislative function or do you think of this something that, as something that the private sector, that the developers need to really get on board with? I see it as both. I, I see it as the carrot and the stick. I think from the legislative so side, it's viewed as a stick. You mm. must do this. These are our requirements. These are our standards. But I also see that you could do incentives, provide the carrot. At the end of the day, I think it comes down to your own personal set of values and the will to do what's right. You can build housing in our community that's green and environmentally friendly and healthy to live in. You might not make as much money, but you'll still be profitable. Mm. You have to make the choice to start. So for me, it's where are we going to draw the line in the sand and say, okay, today's the day this person's going to jump the line and they're going to do what's good for the end user. Maybe they only make a 50% profit and not a 150% profit. But it's been proven it can be done on the mainland. And I don't buy the arguments it cannot be done here. What are, what are some of the arguments that are getting thrown at you as far as what the impediments are to accomplishing what can be done on the mainland here successfully? Well, it's the same thing you hear consistently. Um, that our county takes too long to push through permits and planning and infrastructure, um, that we don't have enough water that's clearly available for development, for example, upcountry. Um, right now we have a planning department that up until this year has said, 
you can build affordable housing. We think there's water in that neighborhood. And when you're done and ready for us to put in the meters, it looks like they'll be available. But if someone jumps in line ahead of you, they may not be. What other community develops and can't guarantee a developer you're going to have water meters? Yeah. I mean, you can't go spend millions of dollars on a hope that it's going to be there. Um, I think our county could do a better job. And I'm hoping to impact that through changing our, some of our laws. So you really, you do recognize that there is some credence to, to some of the complaints of the developers, but you're not buying that it's, it's impossible. I agree. I, I think some of it there, we do take a lot too long. I think it needs a change in our, in our culture and our leadership at our planning department, which reports to our mayor to change things. And I think Mayor Victorino has stepped forward and said affordable housing is a priority to him. Mm. I want to see more action of actual execution of units being built. And hopefully we'll see that in his tenure. It's early still. What were your thoughts on the presentation regarding the, the strategic plan on housing? Well, we didn't get a strategic plan this week. <laughs> We got a list of questions. We got a request for an economist. Uh, we did not get a plan, and I think the council spoke to that pretty clearly. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed. I had higher expectations. I expected at least a timeline of we need to identify, you know, five developers that are going to build 2,000 units each over the next five years. You know, that's our plan. Or Here's our timeline. We're going to identify lots to build, 2,000 units in the next two years, and we're going to expedite permit. I mean, what was the cross-department cooperation that was going to facilitate this? It's not going to change just because we will it to change. Um, there's got to be a plan to start with and cooperation to support the plan. Mm. Man, we can, we can dig into this, and, and we will dig in a little bit more. Before that though, I gotta know, why the transition to politics? So, so you were in real estate for, for over 20 years, um, <coughs> and you're still in real estate. How, yeah. how did you get into to politics? Well, I've always had an interest in how can I impact my community. Um, I have worked behind the scenes in politics for many, many years. Uh, I've worked on uh, Mufi Hanneman's campaign um, for Congress, for governor. Uh, I worked on Kelly King's first campaign to get elected to council. I ran her last campaign this season to become a member again and ultimately chair. Um, I've also dabbled in other campaigns. So um, I've always, you know, had an interest in policy and how do you impact change I co-founded the Hawaii Independent Party, which was a statewide party with former Mayor Charmaine Tavares. Um, and so I'm always looking at how can you impact change and there's not one path, there's not one, this is the solution. Um, and I'm not quite sure what the answer is yet, but I feel like it's my obligation to continue to search that out. Mm. So, what were clearly housing is one of the the key issues that, yes. that you're concerned with um 
in that discussion with the tiny houses, um, you brought up a couple of points regarding the environment and being more environmentally friendly in the building materials that you use in the, the construction methods. Um, would you consider yourself an environmentalist? Is, is that one of those things that you're concerned about? Well, I'm concerned with the environment. Um, I wouldn't necessarily label myself as an environmentalist, although there are a number of environmental issues that are important to me. The condition of our reefs, um, the water pollution that's occurring from the injection wells in West Maui, um, that we have adequate and safe drinking water for all, not only in this country, but worldwide. Um, those are issues that I look to impact, but I don't consider myself pigeonholed into one area. Mm. And, and I don't mean uh, environmentalists to, to put a label on you that you're, you have to stringently conform to. That wasn't, wasn't meant um, as a negative at all. But the reason why I asked that is... And it's is, not. I, don't envy, yeah. I have lots of friends who label themselves as environmentalists. I think of myself more as just a concerned citizen that wants to do my part. And I think everyone should have a part in our community. And many people choose not to be engaged. As part of the engagement, um, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about the Climate Reality Project. That's something that you've been working on fairly recently, right? Yes. Um, I was a founding member of the Climate Reality Project here for Maui County, and actually we're a statewide chapter, so it's for Hawaii. Um, Climate Reality Project is founded by Al Gore, and he um, pushes forth education and engagement education, so both on the environment and how to engage people. Um, and they really want to see a uh, reduction in a number of different environmental factors. Um, we're hoping to, now that we've brought this chapter to Hawaii, start to engage people um, on how we do that. The, the education component, do you think education is enough to, to solve the climate crisis that we're in now? I don't think it's enough. I think you have to inspire people to change their habits, the choices they make, and want to be involved. You know, everyone can be involved, and that doesn't mean they have to go out and sign wave on a street corner or attend a meeting, but just in the choices you use. Do you use single-use utensils? Do you use straws? Do you walk when you, when you can versus driving your car? Um, do you open your windows versus turning on your air conditioning? We're in an office on the seventh floor today, which we question, should we turn on the lights in the office? You know, so those are all choices that you can make in your day-to-day -day engagement. I see in your hand you have our county utensils set. Yes, I'm happy that you brought up the, the single-use <coughs> plastic. Um, for those of you listening, right now I am holding um, what is a small blue pouch that says BYO, County of Maui Environmental Protection and Sustainability Division. Um, what, what am I holding? What is this? This is an item that the county distributed on a limited basis, and it's your own set of utensils. So there's a fork, a knife, a spoon, chopsticks, a little brush, a straw, so that you can bring your own anywhere you eat or at your desk every day, be it, be it what it may, and be green. And these, these aren't like cheap quality. These are nice metal utensils, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're mass produced, but they are sturdy. 
And if you think about it, just in a set of chopsticks, if you eat out for lunch or at your desk five days a week, that's 20 meals a month, you know, times 12 months in a year, that's a lot times how many people are in the county building. Just, just this one building, not even our county. And we're looking at how we deal with landfill issues and um, plastics. You know, most single use are made out of plastics, although more and more are becoming biodegradable products. Um, but even biodegradables are how long does it take to biodegrade? Does it need assistance for biodegradability? Um, and so I think just having your own set. You could sustain yourself and live with just that one set of silverware and use it every day at home and take it with you and use it every day and get rid of a lot of single-use products. I absolutely love this project that the Maui County is involved in. Um, I have been bringing a fork to work with me for you know years now. I just carry a little bamboo fork with me usually. Yep. And it gets me some weird stares in meetings, but it's worth it because you, know, you cut down on your waste and the single-use plastics. And I love that the county is taking a leadership role in trying to eliminate some of that single-use plastic. Um, I have been appalled um, just in my short period of time on Maui from the start of getting here until now, three years later, there is a noticeable increase of like microplastics at the beach and just in the water. You see it floating around everywhere. I went to a beach cleanup and I was, I was blown away by the You need the a amount. sift. Yeah. A lot of it is not of a size you can pick up. Um, over the last 10 years, I've been pursuing a Bachelor of Applied Science degree in Sustainable Science Management from UH. I'm four or five classes away from finishing, so I'll finish up this next year. But that really fed my soul in areas of sustainability across construction, environmental issues, and that probably what fed me to get more and more engaged. You know, I'll never give up my real estate practice. I love real estate. It's what supports my family. Um, and yet there, there's room in our lives for everyone to have a higher level of consciousness around how are we living our daily lives. You know, in our office here that we're in, I offered you some water when you came in. Um, we use cups. I'm holding a ceramic cup for those who can't see us. Uh, we have no reusable cups in our office. Um, we try to be, we try to live the walk and the talk um, and not just have talking points, but really live the issues. So I'll put you on the spot here. What are, what are three improvements that any of our listeners can make in their daily life to, to cut down their environmental impact? Carpool when they can not use single-use products, be them utensils, uh, cosmetics, beauty products. You know, you go to a hotel and they have the little bottles of shampoo and conditioner. Really eschew anything that is single-use. And do one thing of engagement. Whether it's they advocate to their own family circle, their own friends, they write a letter to the editor, they attend a community meeting or event like a beach cleanup. Those are all no cost items that take a few minutes of thought and consciousness and yet can have a very large impact. Now I'm really going to put you on the spot. <laughs> what are 
some changes, I'm not going to put a limit on it, some changes that you would like to see made in county policy that you think would, would be greatly beneficial to Maui, to the environment? Well, I would like to see uh, the county change their code to embrace um, alternative methods of construction, which would allow greener um, construction, perhaps even indigenous types of construction. Um, I would like to see them embrace tiny homes in a greater way to allow that to come forth. Part of that is changing law at the state level, not just the county level. Mm. Um, for tiny homes, the state has a requirement through the Department of Health that says for every adult in your home, you must have 120 square feet of livable space. And livable space does not include kitchens, bathrooms, and hallways. So you're looking at, not just looking at the laws of permitting within the county, but what are the state Department of Health laws? They don't include children under the age of five in those calculations. But they do for what they consider a healthy living environment. So when you're looking at smaller condos and things, that was kind of the threshold a lot of property managers would use. Um, was the State Department of Health. So I'd like to see some of the state laws change or codes or guidelines to support tiny homes. Um, I think that's going to eliminate some multi-generational living that's not by choice, although there are trends that people are choosing to live multi-generationally now, which I think has been done in other countries for a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of benefits to that. So again, for those who choose not to, to have that option. Um, I would like to see us do a better job with our mass transit. Mm. Um, I think there are some things we could do, whether it's mandated shuttles to hotels. You know, I don't know if those are private or county uh, shuttles where there's a South Maui shuttle that goes to all the Wailea McKenna hotels. There's a West Side shuttle, you know, that takes you maybe to a a point in that community that then you have a few shuttles that go out to the different individual hotels, a, a hub and spoke like they do mm -hmm. with our bus, but strictly visitor based, hotel based. I think a lot of people rent a car here to get to their hotel, really intending to stay in that immediate community, but feel they have to rent a car because it's difficult to get there without one. Yeah. Like to see better food security for our island. Now you're talking about language. This is. This I would is love to see a regional food processing site for our local farmers. Um, Therese Masters, who was a fellow student at UH in the sustainability program, wrote her capstone project on a food hub. And I think that there's a lot of merit to the need for that. You know, we don't have a central processing site where people can create value-added products. Mm. Um, outside of a small program at UH. Um, but if we had a central program where all the farmers could bring their food and it could be you know, transported there to wholesalers or have a large regional farmer's market, I think that's important. You know, I worry when we have storms and they say our shelves will be empty within a few days and could be empty for two to three weeks in the event of a major storm affecting a harbor or our airports. No matter how much you tell people stockpile food for two weeks, if our island had to sustain ourselves for two weeks, it scares me.
I think we'd have riots in the streets. I think you're right. Um, it, that's one of those issues that, that actually frightens me quite a bit as well. I, I'm going to share a dream with you that okay. I have. Um, I honestly think that Keopulani Park and really all of our public parks should be turned into food forests. Yes, I am in agreement. Yeah, I, I would love to see, especially <coughs> if we tie in native plants, for one, um, but also native agricultural pro um, practices. Yes. You know, from a, from a cultural preservation standpoint, um, we are, we're in such an amazing time for a resurgence of, of pride in Hawaiian culture. Yeah. Uh, and, and really understanding and knowledge of Hawaiian culture. And I think it would be so wonderful to tie in our need for food security and for food sustainability um, with this, this desire to strengthen and, and sustain the culture of the place that we're, we're living in now. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm in total agreement. Let's do this. I would support that fully. <laughs> I mean, people are like, well, what are you going to plant? Wouldn't it be great if that new regional park in Kahului was full of breadfruit trees and mango trees. You know, breadfruit is such, can be a savory or a sweet food product, and it's a starch and it feeds so many people and it's so productive, yet the canopy is beautiful and the mm. leaves are beautiful, and they're one of the most highly identified leaves with the Polynesian culture. And they grow beautifully over in that Keopulani Park area. And they grow. They're already growing there. And yeah. I mean, you could just put Lilikoi. Vines on, on all the fence posts, you know, bananas, papayas. Absolutely. I mean, so much grows in, in this area. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to see it. And, you know, it would create an opportunity for that, like, farm apprenticeship program that we have mm -hmm. over at UH, too. Phyllis which... Robinson and the FAM program. You know, I know you would get pushback from the Parks Department because they're going to say, how do we keep people from picking the food? Who gets the food? Um, maintenance of the fruit and and products falling on the ground, attracting rats, you know, all these different issues that have been brought up. But I'm like, why do we have to approach it from a scarcity instead of an abundance? Yeah. Why can't we say if someone picked it, then they needed it, and great, that's what it's there for. And um, if we don't have enough, let's plant more. We have a lot of county park space. We have a lot of right-of-way space throughout our community. It's going to clean the air. It's going to beautify the environment. It's going to feed our community. I see it as a triple win, and I think we can overcome any objections. It's just getting people to come to the table with the right mindset. Yeah, and, and you know, you're absolutely right. The, well, how are we going to stop people from picking it argument? Don't. Just, Don't. just let people pick Again, it. <laughs> people bring those issues to the table from scarcity. Yeah. It's the same thing with money. You know, I tell my clients, they're like, oh, we can't afford to buy our first place. Buy something. There's Everyone can afford to buy something on Maui. You might be buying a one-bedroom at Harbor Lights. You might be in a studio in Kihei. But buy something so in two years we can sell it, take your appreciation tax-free, and roll it into your next thing, be that a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom. It might take you two or three times to get to that small home, but everyone can afford security and stability here. 
in owning a piece of Maui. And I feel like when you own something, your shift, your whole viewpoint shifts to, it's no longer me, it's our community. How do I, I live, I own in this location. Now I care about the library down the street, mm. the, the elderly neighbor three houses down, where we get so caught up in working our one and two and three jobs that we get into this silo of me and people just really need to come from abundance. It's kind of also what I got at Keller Williams, which is Keller Williams is known for sharing information, business practices, how to grow your business and build wealth. And I always have felt like there's enough pie for everyone. I don't have to worry that there's another thousand realtors on the island. And everyone says, well, every client here knows five realtors. True. People know a lot of realtors, but there are people coming from outside the island who don't know anyone. Mm. And there are people who I'm not going to engage and connect with everyone in the same way you might engage through my values and my interests. But I feel like there's more than enough business for everyone. We could add 5,000 realtors to this island. <laughs> and I think the people who work their business and work it with true value to the customer and ethics will always have more than enough business. So I just think that shift, and it, it's in all areas of people's lives, come from abundance and contribution and not from scarcity and how do we keep people out. How is your experience in the real estate world and dealing with people on, on that level um, affected your experience in local government? Say that again? How has your experience in the real estate world and, and dealing with, with people on that level um, affected or impacted your experience in this role of government? Well, I think it's important to form relationships you do that with your clients. I do that with my peers here at the county. I think it's important to be a person of your word, um, speak your truth, treat others how you want to be treated. And I think if you do that, you can maneuver the halls of government. You know, to get things passed, you have to have enough votes. So I think you have to create value in the mind of each person who has a vote whether that's a community member you want to come out and testify or an actual council member who you want to cast their vote, why this is in their community's best interest, whether it's their micro community of their district or the county as a whole. Um, and for different people, that's different issues. Um, I think if you just approach it like that, you can continue to work on the issues that are important to you. You may not always get them passed, you may have to come at them from different directions, but glean something from each interaction so that you know, oh, I can trust Jason because Jason said, these are the things we're going to discuss. And when we actually sat down, that's the things we discussed. Versus in a council situation where you think you have someone's vote, they've pledged their vote to support legislation, and then they get on the floor and they flip on you. Um, without communication. You know, I think people change their minds, but I think communication is important. Honesty, consistency. Do what you say you're going to do. If you can't do it, don't commit. Mm, integrity. 
integrity. And that's hard to find in politics. I don't like the politics as much as I like the impact of government. You know, if you're not happy with the way things are, you have to be a part of the change. And for, for myself, I don't think that means you have to be an elected official. I think there are many ways to engage and affect things. Um, it's one of the things I'd like to affect most over the next couple years is civic engagement. People feeling comfortable enough to come out and testify on things that are important to them or show up at a meeting of their school PTA. I mean, whatever the issue is, but get involved. Don't take the status quo as this is what we're stuck with. I was talking to a neighbor of mine the other evening, um, and he basically explained to me that he does not get involved in politics. He doesn't even vote because he feels as though he's been disenfranchised for so long. Um, he's, he's native Hawaiian, and to him, the, the history of Hawaiian politics is that the, the people who were here were treated wrongly and that the, the cards are just stacked against them no matter what. Um, and, and a lot of this is rooted in, in his perception of how things were in the past. What do you say to somebody who does not engage because of this history of disenfranchisement? I would say your baseline position has foundation. The overthrow of the government was illegal. I think that's been proven factually in the world court. Where do we go from here? I personally think we're at a tipping point. I think Mauna Kea has created such a sense of pride in being Hawaiian, Hawaiian values, unity, um, that I think we're going to see some really major change over the next few years. I think activist Hawaiians, the Walter Riddies of the world, are really inspiring the next generation, the people who are in their 30s and 40s, who aren't perceived as kids anymore or college activists, who are coming forward, who are now professionals. Um, I'm thinking of one gentleman in particular from UH Maui who's a professor. So you have more educated Hawaiians and others supporting them coming forward. I think to say to him, you have to start to engage in whatever is in place. So although you would prefer to have the Hawaiian government ruling today, start by electing a Hawaiian to the state house and the state senate and the county council. Start to get Hawaiian values codified back in our county code back in our state laws. If you want to change things, you have to be a part of the process. Withdrawing from the process is never going to bring it back to what you want it to be. And it saddens me that he doesn't vote. I mean, I called my own children up on voting day and I hand them, have you voted? No. Have you voted? No. Okay, I'm coming now to pick you up to take you to vote. Like, so many people in the world don't have that right, and this is your opportunity at a very low level to have an impact. I'm like, voting, I think, is the very first level of engagement. 
And I feel like people need to go above and beyond that. This is your community. Even if you're just looking at it as the street you live on, how do you make that street, that neighborhood, the community you want to live in? As a realtor, I've always found it important because so many things affect property values, affect our community, affect our sense of place. And if we don't engage, then when things have deteriorated in five, 10 or 20 years, what are you gonna say? Well, I didn't vote and I withdrew and I was on the outside looking in and it just kinda spiraled out of control. I don't wanna have to say that to my children or my grandchildren. I was too busy. It didn't pay me any money. It paid me less money. You know, I took a cut in pay, a very substantial cut in pay to come back to this role and work for Chair King. But I did it because I believe it's an opportunity to have an impact and to make change and to make Maui a better community for all of us. Now, maybe that's altruistic, but I feel like if you do nothing, then don't complain. You know, you don't have a right to complain at that point. I, I think it is both a bit altruistic and completely accurate at the same time. Um, you said something, you made a statement that is very fascinating to me, which is you acknowledged the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian government. That is something that to hear Somebody in this office, we're, we're sitting in the council chair's office right now. I think a lot of people would have imagined impossible that, that somebody would acknowledge that, that it's a questionable government we have in place, to, to put it lightly. Do you feel that that, that view um, that the Hawaiian government was illegally overthrown um, undermines the work of government that, that you do on a daily basis? No, because we are sanctioned as a part of the United States, the state of Hawaii, the county of Maui. First of all, that's my personal view, and my personal view doesn't color the work I do. But the planning committee here at the county recently hosted Dr. Keanu Sai mm. in chambers on two different meetings to talk about the legality of laws that are being created and enforced in Maui County today, given the fact that the World Court has acknowledged that the Hawaiian government was illegally overthrown. Um, I've taken graduate level classes from Dr. Sai at UH. I respect and value our host culture and um, I embrace everything Hawaiian that I can. Um, I'm not Hawaiian by blood, but I would hope that at some point and someday that there is some way that the Hawaiian kingdom could be reinstated and how do you work through land ownership and all the issues that come with that? I don't know, I don't have those answers, but I think we did a wrong. We have a people that was oppressed and weren't even allowed to speak their own language for a period of time. So I think the beginning to righting a wrong is acknowledging it. Um, so I personally choose to acknowledge it. And the county is looking at it because they've had him here twice now to talk about um, how do we move forward here, from here? Which, to anybody listening, um, there were two presentations. Do you recall what, what months those were? I want to say June or July. They were very recently, yeah. after budget, this year, 2019. 
they were they're definitely worth checking out because they were fascinating. I mean, I, I was yes. I was really riveted by it. I watched parts of it more than once. Um, and if you don't have the time to sit through the six hours, because it was roughly six hours yeah. of, of testimony, um, I highly recommend. Shout out to Axel Beers over at Maui Time. He did a great a great write up. Yeah, it was it was. He's just an outstanding writer. So yeah. So I I highly recommend anybody read those. Um, one thing that I do want to point out. I think the fact that you're willing to, to say all this, and it is just your opinion, though, Correct. Um, still represents that disenfranchisement is, is at least, at the very least, reducing. That you have people in this building who are seriously looking at these issues um, and who are trying to represent all aspects of Maui. Correct. Um, which is uplifting. It is uplifting. I mean, it makes me get up every morning and go, wow, what can we impact today? Um, I think being here in Hawaii, our host culture is, is the base foundation for everything in our community. Um, and we've had that renaissance, I'd say, in the last five to ten years where it's really come forward. And now you see all this activism around the TMT. I don't know that I support or don't support the telescope. Um, I support science and advancement, but I also think that there are sacred places. And if, if I felt that was a sacred place, um, you know, I think there's some, some foundation to that. Um, then, then let's build it, but let's build it somewhere else. But the activism that's come out of that across Hawaii, across the country, I mean, you have Hawaiians in Detroit you know, sign waving and flag waving on the streets and Chicago and L.A. and Idaho. And it's very uplifting to go, wow, they're shouting out to support here on the Big Island. I just think that we're years ago, you know, we, we took back Kohoa Lave from the federal government. I think all of these things have been building on each other, that we are very close to a tipping point of greater engagement in the Hawaiian community and their ability to see themselves engaging through seats in the state house. Mm. You know, I've heard them say, many people say before, well, we don't want to run for office because that legitimizes the government that overthrew the Hawaiian kingdom. Okay, I see that viewpoint, but not, why not run and get seats in the house and the Senate and start to implement and peel back some of the things that you think you've lost that are good for the community. Um, I think that's an excellent route to take. Um, or impact through writings and being published or whatever role they want to take. I just think the fact that more people are paying attention and care and want to be engaged. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, and I, I think a, a good example of the benefit of taking that active participation, that, that active role in government um, can be seen in like council member Paulton. It was her committee that, that gave the opportunity to Dr. Sai to even talk about these issues. Um, on the record, yeah. in the county, as the expert authority on the topic. Yeah. So he wasn't here just to testify. He was brought in as the topic expert. And I think that's huge. And, and if she had never pursued a role in government, 
that might not have ever come to fruition. And she was a lifeguard before that. Yeah, it's incredible. So when people say, um, and actually what a lot of people don't know about her, she's very educated. She has a degree in math. I didn't know that. People said, said oh, she's, she's a lifeguard. She's a lifeguard by choice. She loves the outdoors. There's a lot to her, like many people, like myself. There's a lot more than people really know about, but she's very smart. She has a degree in mathematics. Yeah. I, I didn't know that, that she had a degree in mathematics. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been continually impressed um, as, as far as just the preparedness for meetings. Yes. Um, and the questions that are, that are being asked and, and everything. I, I'm, I'm honestly impressed by the whole county council. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too into to one member, uh, sound like I'm, I'm playing favorites, but, but I really, one thing that seems to, to come through with all of the members of the county council currently serving, um, even when they disagree, you could tell that there is a sense of what's good for the county. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that seems to come through pretty clearly with everybody, that their main desire is what's good for the county. I think a great example of that was uh, Tasha Kama had a housing project come before her committee a couple weeks ago, um, Peter Martin's projects. Mm. And she, her life's work is affordable housing. She was a founding member of FACE, and, and she has said before that Everything she lives and breathes on this council is about getting affordable housing for our community. And when she saw in the committee that she was not going to have the votes to pass it, she said on the floor, I will still love you all. And we're going to come together and we're going to work together to get affordable housing. It's not going to be this project, but we're going to shake this off and move forward and still like each other when we're done. I think that's a new direction. People aren't being as polarized and as pivoting to the corners where you're not on my side, you're my enemy, we can't talk, we can't have a conversation. I think we as a community have moved in the direction of we may not agree and we are going to have differences of opinion, but we can have civilized discourse and evaluate many options, not just mine or yours, but others that haven't even been considered and hopefully come out with the options that are good for the best of the community, the greatest number of the community. Um, where in the past, politics has been very dirty. And uh, I don't like that side of politics. Mm. I, I, like, I think of what I do as supporting work in the public sector. I like know? that. And I don't think of it as politics. Even when I've supported candidates, it's because I've supported them because of their viewpoint and what I think they can accomplish in their role, whatever that's going to be. Um, and it doesn't have to be me or you because we might agree on this issue and disagree on a different issue. But at the end of the day, when I run into Jason in the grocery store, hey, Jason, give me a hug. How are you? It's not I'm going to turn and go the other direction. And I think that that's a progression for our council. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the ideas are getting smarter, too, which yeah. is helpful. It is helpful. <laughs> you know, it's, it's easier to, to take specific policy positions when, when it's all pretty decent ideas that are being presented, uh, and we just have differing opinions of how they're going to impact the county. Um, I want to go back a minute regarding food and agriculture. Okay. Um, so 
The visitor industry is often a target uh, of debate, scorn even, um, but it is our primary industry. A lot of people view agriculture as, as a potential secondary industry that could someday you know, compete with, with tourism and we could be less reliant on having to bring in visitors. Um, in your guesstimation, how far away do you think we, we might be from being able to see agriculture as a, as a real big industry on Maui? At least 10 years. At least 10 years? I wish I could say three months, a planting cycle. Um, I think it's going to be a while. Yeah. I think it's going to be a while. You know, the council's talking about managing tourism um, versus building tourism. You know, we're it's been acknowledged that we're over our current infrastructure capacity for tourism and we need to maintain or even reduce the number of tourists coming to Maui based on our current infrastructure. Um, I think that there's a way to educate visitors to have a lesser impact. Um, I don't think you're ever going to control people coming as long as you're part of the United States. Um, it does provide jobs for our community. I would love for us to have a strong agricultural uh, industry and be the breadbasket of the Pacific and be able to export, you know, feed our people and export food. But I think it's going to be years to come. You know, Larry Ellison bought the island of Lanai in 2012 and had all of these visions for great agricultural products and export. And none of the land has been planted. And we're here six, seven years already. He's doing um, hydroponics um, inside these large agricultural hoop houses. Um, and it's starting but they don't even have locally grown fruits and vegetables in their two small grocery stores on Lanai. And, and that's someone whose money's no issue, has the land, has the will to make it happen, and it hasn't happened. Your biggest challenge on Maui is gonna be workforce and then housing that workforce. You know, before when we brought, we had ag here, we brought Portuguese in, mm. the Paniolos, and they were up country and that really served to staff a lot of our farming ventures. And then, you know, maybe 30 years ago, MEO brought in workers from Mexico. And there were, you know, dorms that were available to house some of them on the farms. And uh, when we had sugar, uh, that's gone. So if we have this large agricultural industry that let's say grows in the next five years, Who's going to work those jobs? Yeah. We don't have a workforce. We're not developing a workforce. And where are we going to house them? The county, some county members are going over to Oahu to Kunia Farms to look at ag housing. They've done a model project over there to see how could it be scaled up and implemented on Maui. You know, with Mahi Pono and 40,000 acres, um, yes, some things can be done with heavy equipment and automation, but you still need workers. And so who, who? And we don't really teach that and value that in our schools. I mean, we do have a garden network, 
but there's a large leap from a garden to commercial farming. Yeah. And so are those jobs going to pay enough that people can afford to live here and thrive and have families? I think they can if we structure it properly. I think the Farmer's Apprentice Program is huge but needs to be scaled up. Obviously, graduating 25 farmers, 50 farmers a year isn't going to do it. So how do we do that? I'm not an ag expert, but I know that the needs are there. Yeah, I'm not either. But my sister-in-law, is. she just finished the farm program, the FAM program. Um, and I, I have other friends that have gone through it. It's I'm, an amazing program. I'm just so impressed. I'm, yeah, I'm so amazing. impressed that, that the things that they're learning, the skills, the practical farming skills that, that they're walking out of that program with. Yeah. Um, you know, I commend the county for, for that, too. Well, you know, there are ag program classes at UH Maui. Um, and you can get a two-year degree in ag-based programs, tropical agriculture um, and related type programs. And now Mahi Bono has lots available for lease, I think two to 10 acre lots. So for a new farmer, that might be a good starting point. But again, you're not gonna farm 10 acres on yourself. You're gonna need workers to help you. And where are those workers gonna come from? Yeah. And do we value farm workers from a cultural standpoint? Are we gonna position in the community that's a place of pride and a place to be that you work the land, the Aina? For me, yes. I think that it's hard work, but a lot of people take a lot of gratitude out of it, enjoy being outside, um, enjoy you know, having an, an end product. Um, I think it could be, but I think it's gonna need a shift in our community to really value that segment of our community. And we need to, not only because we're going to have great food, but the food security that it will bring to our community. We haven't had a major devastation where we as a community have had to survive even a week. I mean, you see our shelves clear of toilet paper and bottled water, and then what? So I hope we don't see that in the near future. I agree. You just touched on my, my big fear that that one devastating event that requires us all to stockpile food and whatnot. Well, we had a conversation here in the county that if, you know, most people are here Monday through Friday during the workday. So what if that big event happens at the count when you're at work at the county? Does the county have food and water stockpiled to take care of all their workers for 14 days? And the answer was no. So then the council members said, well, so are we supposed to stockpile food and water in our office for ourselves and our staff? Well, you can choose to do that. So what happens when that event comes and we have food and water and the people down the hall don't? Mm. We have to barricade our door now because we're the only ones on the floor with food and water. I mean, it's just not well thought out at the county level or throughout the community. Yeah. That is a heavy issue. That is <laughs> well, we have lots of heavy issues, unfortunately. Um, I, I want to, you know, we're, we're close to wrapping up. We've been talking for, for an hour. I want to have a couple of regular questions, and then we'll do my, my five quick cool-down questions at the very end. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
One, one regular question. You mentioned you want people to be civically engaged, come out, testify for, for items that they're, they're interested in. Um, what tips would you give to somebody if there, there is an issue that they're concerned about and they do want to be civically engaged? Um, tips for how to testify or really how to, to get in touch with their county council members? Well, the county website has phone numbers for all of their council members. They can pick up the phone and call them. They can send them an email. They can make an appointment to see them. They can come testify on any item on an agenda for up to three minutes. Um, those are starting points. If you can't leave your job, just talk to your friends and neighbors. You know, the people you put in those roles to make decisions for you, if they're not making the decisions that support the community you want, change it. Vote them out. Elect new people. Um, hold the people you vote in accountable. Uh, social media is very powerful today. Jump on Facebook. I mean, we posted something yesterday at 5 o'clock when we left the office about affordable rentals becoming available in Kihei this next week. We had 5,500 views in 14 hours over affordable rentals. So I think social media you can do from anywhere, from your phone, from home. Um, live your life the way you want to see our community move in that direction. Um, you know, and, and just walk your, walk your beliefs. I think there are a lot of different ways. Is there anything you'd like to say to the realtors for them to be aware of or, or for ways that they can help out? Well, I think we have a cross spectrum of realtors like we do in all segments of the community. We have that small subset that's really engaged and participates in committees and community events. And I think if everyone just found one thing that was important to them and took one step on that one thing uh, that was important to them, just across our own realtor base, that's, I don't know how many realtors we have today, 1,500 steps. That would have an impact in our community. Yeah, we have we have over 1,700, but I, I love the way that you phrase that. One step on one issue yeah. that you're concerned about. People get so overwhelmed with the, the full spectrum of things that we deal with every day in our life. Um, and just pick that one. I had lunch with a friend today, and this is, it wasn't even on my radar, but we got talking about drunk drivers and the lack of penalties for drunk driving. And she and I, she's a prosecutor, decided that we're going to move for new legislation in the state legislature this next year for stronger penalties for drunk driving. Just we were talking about the lives that were lost in Kihei recently, the mother and son, and we've had 14 fatalities this year. And where's that line in the sand? And she shared with me that a drunk driver, first offense, is not a felony and they can be fined $150. In other states, it's a felony. You go to jail, you pay a substantial fine. And I said, you know what? I want the fine to really hurt. Maybe it should be 2,000 or 5,000 as a fine. I want it to be painful for them to pay that, that it sears a memory in their mind to never get in a vehicle and drive drunk again. I want stiffer penalties. And I don't have any iron in that fire. 
but it just came up and I'm like, okay, that's our thing for spring. Let's figure out because we're going to have to go talk to all our state reps and senators and, and create a plan. And it just came up organically over lunch. I think all of us encounter those things. Three can plan recycling. I want to be able to recycle at my home in my neighborhood. Then advocate for that to your council members, to the um, waste department, to the mayor, through your neighborhood association, through your homeowners association. It's just find one issue and pick one thing you're going to do. And I think that organically will grow because once you do something and you see an impact, it will inspire you to do more. And maybe it's on the same issue. Maybe it's on a different issue. But create the world you want to live in here on Maui. I like that. That's great advice. Um, now, let's, let's cool down. I, I have five questions that I ask at the end of every interview. Okay. Um, you might have already answered some of them, but we'll answer them again. Okay. Um, first question, what book would you recommend? What book would I recommend? I haven't done a lot of reading lately. I'm not current on the current bestsellers and topics. <laughs> I don't know that I'd have a recommendation for you. Oh, not even just a, a book that you liked growing up or, or anything like that? Uh, no. Fair enough. I am a short attention span person. I find that in my own daily life, I read newspapers and magazines and articles and snippets from the internet. And if I can't get through it in five to 10 minutes, um, my life is broken into little pieces of time. Reading a whole book is a lot for me. Mm. And I haven't done that in at least a year, read a book. That's, I mean, you're, you're a busy person. I understand. <laughs> it, it happens. Um, I'll go ahead and, and give a recommendation Excellent. on your behalf. Because I like, I like giving everybody a recommendation. Yeah. Um, my recommendation would be a book called Rising Out of Hatred. Um, it is a nonfiction story written uh, about, I believe his name is Derek Black. He is the son of the white supremacist leader who created this, the website Stormfront. Wow. Um, and it's all about his transition from being a prominent young white supremacist who was expected to be the leader of the movement uh, for years and years to come. His godfather is David Duke. Oh, wow. Um, and he went to college and made friends with a couple of Jewish guys who just out of kindness and patience really made him realize how dumb his ideas were and how completely wow. off base he was. And it's a fantastic book, and I can't recommend it enough. And how timely yeah. in today's era where we have gun violence and people singling out minorities. Yeah. I mean, so timely. It, it, was, it was an extremely, one of those disturbing books that you just can't put down. Yeah. Um, and he, he does get into the election of Trump, um, which is, is pretty fascinating, too, and, and how that rhetoric, he sees a lot of it sort of crossing into mainstream politics. Um, I don't want to get in too much trouble going into the partisan side of things, but a fascinating read. So I did think of a book. I'll go back. Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership. Oh. It's the last book I read, and it's a, a great uh, business book. That is an excellent recommendation. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, 
Second question, what is guaranteed to make you smile? A rainy day. Really? What about I the love rain? the rain. I can't get enough rain. <laughs> I just love the way it smells. I love to walk in it. I just think water is life. I love um, how my yard grows after a good rain. I love rain, a rainy day. That's a lovely answer. Um, what goal do you have that you haven't achieved yet? Hmm. I don't know, I've achieved a lot of the goals I've set for myself in life. Um, I'm 52 and I'm at a good place in my life. Um, I'm happy with where I live and what I do. Um, I think for myself, uh, stability for my children, having the world and the community be in a better place than it is today. You know, I was on island when we had the North Korean missile scare in January. It will be a day I never forget. Um, I laid in bed and spent three minutes deciding if I was going to wake up my family or let them sleep. And I ended up waking up my family. And um, I will never be in a place of forgiveness on how that event came to be. It was the most horrific day of my life. And um, when I have weeks like this where the North Korean dictator has fired off missiles four days in the last 10 days, and I realized that we in Hawaii are a potential target, um, along with gun violence on the mainland, which will soon be in Hawaii. I don't think we're immune. Um, I fear for my children, for the future that we've created. And, you know, it makes me take a step back and go, is food security and housing really the things I should be most concerned with? Mm. You know, are we gonna have a, a, a Hawaii to live in? Um, are we gonna have growing gun violence and dissension you know, we are a very mixed cultural community. Um, I don't want to live in a community where people are being singled out for their race or their religious beliefs. And yet, what's the alternative? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They say, they say, what do you want for the world? I want world peace. And I really mean it. <laughs> and that's, that's one of those goals that, that we certainly haven't achieved yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a similar answer to what, what Sandy Baz had said um, about being able to help everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those goals that you just never achieve, but you never give up on. True. Hopefully we achieve peace. I have a daughter of four girls, and my oldest daughter and her husband have elected not to have children. And that broke my heart because I really wanted grandchildren. And uh, of the three remaining daughters, uh, I have another daughter who's getting married in September, and they may have children. And the conversation with my children and they're in their 20s and 30s is, Mom, look at the world around us. Do we really wanna bring children into the world where we have to worry about their safety at school? When I send them to school in the morning, if they're going to be safe, if they're going to come home? Do I want to want them to have to worry about what foods they eat? Can we afford to buy organic because of the pesticides that are on the food that we're consuming? Um, and when you sit down and you look at all of those issues that that generation is dealing with, 
and I think I'm a really engaged person, you still feel helpless. Yeah. Because you can't take care of those issues. They're beyond voting the right person in. There's such large national global issues. Yeah. I, I had the same conversation. I mean, my wife and I, we're in our 30s. Um, we're, we've been married just over a year now. Um, and it's, it's that same conversation almost on a weekly basis sometimes where it's look at the state of things. You know, how do you make that choice, that, that big lifelong choice of, of bringing another person to this world um, when there's, the stakes are so high and there's yeah. so much going on? Um, it's difficult, you know, yeah. but I guess the only thing you can do is remain hopeful. Someone asked me today, what kind of day are you having? I'm like, I'm having a great day. They're like, why? I said, I woke up. Mm. And I really kind of approach that every day. Man, I woke up today. I have another great day to take in the view of the ocean, to have that scoop of ice cream, to breathe in our clean air, to give my kids a hug, to learn something new. Um, I think we have to embrace the little things, but yet still keep working towards the larger picture. Um, you know, I have hope that we will see peace. Um, and when I say peace in our world, reduction of gun violence, because that's a, an illness of the heart and the soul discrimination. But then also, you know, world leaders like North Korea and some areas of the Middle East where um, we don't always have all the information. We get what our government allows to filter to us. And we always have to remember there might be more that we don't know um, and keep it all in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't give up having children for the world. I want my children to experience that. But, you know, gun violence was once a year when my kids were being born. Now it's three times in a weekend. I mean, the magnitude just in the last 20 to 30 years is just exponential. Yeah, it's appalling. Yeah. It, it's, it's just terrifying and appalling. And, yeah. and the places, the locations. You know, when it, was, when it was schools, I guess it was easy for, for a lot of folks to say, well, we'll just put armed guards in all the schools. But it's not schools anymore, it's Walmart, it's the garlic festival, it's the farmer's market, it's... My mother theaters. is 80 years old and she's raising my niece and my nephew who are 14 and they started high school this week. And I spoke to her on Monday and she said, I went to this orientation with them and I have to tell you, when I sat down in the auditorium, the first thing I thought about was, where is the closest exit and what can I hide behind if I had to? This woman's 80 years old. And that's her thought in a public place. Like, what have we come to as a society that we allow this to continue? You know, and um, I just don't think we need automatic weapons in our world. Um, I don't think any citizen has a need for an automatic weapon for any purpose. But yet I do see the need for guns and for civic rights and constitutional rights. And But I also just look at all of the horror that we've brought into our communities um, and how do we 
right the ship? How do we rebalance things and pull back from some of the negative directions we've gone? Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that, that Maui can continue to, to stay safe um, and stay united as, as people. But, yeah, you're right. It's scary. Yeah, very much so. I'm going to move on to my next question. <laughs> okay. What is something that you've learned recently? What is something I've learned recently? How to cook Indian food. Really? Mm-hmm. What, any, any dish in particular that you're keen on? Um, some curry dishes. My daughter lives in Denver, my, one of my, my third daughter. And she um, is very much into vegan cooking and sends me recipes and things and just trying new meatless dishes. And she loves Indian food and just different things. So I'm cooking, Indian cooking. Very cool. Yeah. And finally, um, one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening. Never stop learning and never be closed-minded. Always be willing to listen to the other viewpoint. Excellent. This, this has been a lovely interview. Um, I love talking to you, so, so thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you and record this all. Awesome. All right, we'll have to do it again sometime. Okay. All right, take care.